mortgages can be a dry subject. So here's your oasis in the desert. It's the podcast that will get you talking and thinking, or more likely drinking. The Lennon to his McCartney, the Bert to his Ernie. It's the one and only Mortgage Stew and his sidekick Martin at the LM Experience. Hi there, welcome to the LM Experience. Uh, we are back, Martin. We are back, Stu, and thank God we are. The demand was great <laughs> for our <laughs> services. Um, yeah, it's great to be back, isn't it? Great to be back in the studio. We've got some really good guests, and we're going to crack on straight away. Uh, we have, Today, we've got Mr. Will Glendinning. Good morning, Will. Morning. How are you? Morning. Fabulous. Good, good. I'm going to declare an interest in here. I've known Will probably... Uh, for more years than we both care to remember 20, you're 20 years uh, uh, met, met through work he's a client of mine or was a client of mine um, drifted apart as you do with clients and kind of re- reconnected recently because uh, I, I saw Will put something on LinkedIn which I thought was really really interesting and we'll get on to that in, in, in a moment Will but I asked I asked Will for an introduction you know mm-hmm. Will what do you do and he's given me about 15 words to describe him I'll pick some of them out now for you producer designer director writer artist i mean is there no is it where, where there's no beginning to my talent there seems to be no end to yours <laughs> well everyone says you should niche down shouldn't you but i'm, I'm ignoring that <laughs> you're completely. niching up yeah exactly well no i mean my work spans all sorts of things i work across the arts entertainment sport events work around the world producing stuff designing stuff everything from working with property developers on commercial retail spaces um looking at how they become activated and how they get built and designed to become venues and host events and things like that mm. through to working with governments on major events all sorts of stuff so d- d- just give us a little potted cv because when i when i met you in the, in the halcyon days of the late 90s i think you were working for was it imagination imagination yeah yeah which was a, a was that an events company it's, it's a design agency a right. design events agency so yeah. mm-hmm. so that that's when we met so so you know just talk us through what, what you know what, what you've done since then will and it might take about four <laughs> hours but it sounds a bit <laughs> we'll, do the, we'll do the one on. minute version so yeah that was back in when did i meet you 97, 98, yeah, like that. yeah. So I spent a couple of years building the Millennium Dome, which is now the O2, if you remember that thing uh, back in the day. Uh, absolutely. When you say built it, I mean, I'm, I don't, I can't imagine you in overalls, Will. Well, you might joke. <laughs> yeah, so the, the, the tent structure is the same as it is now. but for anyone, hasn't changed. No, for anyone who's too young to remember. Um, before it is what it is now, it had a number of zones or buildings inside it. So yeah. we built, in imagination, we built two, I don't know what you call them, buildings, but they were nine-story buildings, mm-hmm. architectural marvels within the dome. And um, or the O2 as it's now called, <laughs> and they were museums, theatres, exhibition spaces in their own right. This was all for the millennium, the, the millennium, the year two thousand. Yeah, yeah, so the millennium. That's where I spent my New Year's Eve. So yeah. that was two years of my life. Um, then various corporate events and things like that. Left there, went to run another agency, did some great stuff there. So in two thousand and six, seven, I was the event director for the Tour de France when that first came through London in the southeast. Ah, mm-hmm. So we um, we kind of set the benchmark of. What became lots of the practices and approaches to actually then deliver 2012 a few years later. So, so I mean, how big event was was I mean the Tour de France itself in in the UK? I mean that that you know you don't just rack up with your bike and off you go. I mean that's a huge logistical. logistical yeah. uh, I can't. Even, I mean I can't even organise my breakfast. So the thought of organising a whole leg of the Tour de France. Where do you start with? You know, do you start with a bit of blank paper? Well, the ASO, who own the Tour de France, it's like a franchise, same as the World Cup or the Olympics. Yeah. It's like say, they come to your city mm-hmm. and say, we need this. So they give you a blueprint of what you have to deliver. Yeah. Um, and then you get involved, as you say, in all the organising, negotiating and everything else. But we had 
from memory, this is a long time ago, Martin. <laughs> Sorry. Um, we had, I think, about 20, 21,000 people working on it. 21,000 people? Yeah, wow. a bit more maybe. Um, and obviously we shut down most of central London. Yeah, popular guy. Which, which I don't think has been done. Someone said it hasn't happened since the Second World War. I'm not sure that's true, but right. it was certainly a vast shutdown. Mm-hmm. And then a large swathe as well going down to Kent because they left London. Went down to Dover yeah, and then got on ferries or the tunnel, I forget which, and went over to France to do the proper tour de France. <laughs> um, but yeah, there was no real, I mean, the UK had done major events, but there was no real blueprint, blueprint for yeah. how to do it in a certain way. So yeah, and that got recognised in the House of Commons and it became a benchmark, I guess. And I would imagine that you've probably, I mean, in terms of a skill set, I'm just trying to think what my skill set is. I, I, I don't think it's got anything on it. But you'd have to be—you have to be quite a political animal because you're dealing with so many different. You'd, I'm guessing you know when you say you closed down London, you're dealing with the mayor. If there was a mayor back then, was it? Yeah, well, they're the client essentially. So right. again, you don't do this on your own. You just you become the conductor orchestrating this. So yes, oh, like me, you delegate everything. Good man. You're both a client to the government. <laughs> exactly. You're both a client to the government and also kind of directing the government as well. Um, right. And then there's rafts of suppliers and other stakeholders. So there's, so there's a degree of authority that you've got there if you say i'm going to close down central london that it's not it's kind of non-negotiable it's you're closing it down yeah i mean you what make it sound like job. a very simple process what a great but job. There's a, like flicking a any vacancies going i'm quite fancy that <laughs> that was a long time ago um yeah you know it's political it's creative it's mm. technical it's so in, t- in terms of large events like that mm. um how does that process begin in terms of do you get approached as the events specialist, for example, by the organisations? How do you then, is it a case of just a massive brainstorming exercise to begin with as terms of who you need to approach for various segments of approvals and that type of thing? Is that how it works? I mean, everything's different. If you're dealing with a government who's, you know, bid to stay to the Olympics or the Tour de France or the World Cup or something, um, you know, there'll be, there'll already be like a blueprint mm-hmm. Probably that's undeliverable, but there'll be a blueprint to start with. Um, and then various experts are brought in board to kind of pick it to pieces and work out how to do uh-huh. it. And then from that, you just build out the agencies, the organisations and all the rest of it. Other times, um, someone will have an idea. Um, so, for example, we set up the... We're talking about sport here. My life's so not about sport. But, uh, we set up the triathlon in central London in 2009, I think that was, in Hyde Park. Again, that was someone's idea. And because that was not from government, everyone's like, no, 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 it's never going to happen. Mm-hmm. So then that becomes much more about lobbying. Um, more win, challenging to, from your point of view. Yeah, well, not just me, others involved. Yeah. Uh, but trying to bring that around and actually bring people around and, you know, it, yeah, it's politics. Yeah, politics, and, yeah. And PR, basically, as well. Yeah. So. And and did you, did you get involved in 2012? You mentioned it there briefly. Was you know Because yeah. once you've launched a successful leg of the Tour de France, in, from a CV point of view, you might be the go-to person or one of the go-to people for an, another bigger project. You are, I suppose. Um, you are. But obviously, every time some new big event happens, there's a new tranche of people in government, there's a new tranche of people that arrive and want to do things their own way um, and want to build their own teams and have their own people and all the rest of it. So it's not just because you've done one thing, you have the right mm. or will do the next thing. But yeah, we were involved in various things in 2012. So we did the... Um, how long have you got? So we had the... <laughs> yeah. uh, Four years. <laughs> Until- so with the Mayor's Office, um, we did the uh, largest outdoor arts festival, I think it was at the time, across all... 
have I forget how many how many boroughs are there in London? Oh, how many boroughs are yeah. across? You know, we had five thousand shows, four hundred artists across seven weeks of the Olympics and Paralympics. Uh, the company I ran, we organised and curated all the entertainment across the Olympic Park, other than the, the actual ceremonies. Mm-hmm. Um, what else did we do? Our oh, various mm. political and commercial consultancy. It seems like when people talk about 2012 now, they look back. It was it, it was the halcyon days in many respects. You look at maybe where. Not getting too political, maybe where London is currently mm. at the moment, and you know, there's a lot of, lot of talk about crime uh, and dropping standards. Um, uh, you know, feral youths running around. People now, even though it was only eight years ago, people look back on 2012. Well, and actually, you know, I did go to a couple of events. I can't remember which one. I think it might have been hockey. It's the only one I got. Uh, mm-hmm. But it was a superb time. It was a feel-good thing, wasn't it? It was a massive feel-good thing. The weather was good for a change. Uh, It was superbly organised. It was all over London. You know, Horse Guards Parade was volleyball, I think, from from memory. Uh, uh, Not the O2, the um, the Olympic Village. That's where I went for the the hockey. It was fantastic, you know. And we had a good Olympics as well as a... As a nation, but it was also about like, the Olympic torch as well, going around the country as well. Mm. I mean, yeah, like, I mean, these huge events, it's amazing. Uh, you know, there's lots of. I was on the news quite a bit at the time because various. You know, before these things happen, it's like, why are you spending so much money on this? Mm. And, <laughs> you know, this problem, that problem, and you know, there's all the G4S security stuff and everything. You know, the fact that anyone expects there not to be problems just seems insane to me. Mm. You know, they're, they're always picked up on, and these are the issues. But then once it happens, everyone goes, oh, I had a really good time. So, <laughs> you know, the, it, then, it then flips. That's the British mentality for you, And now, of course, it? it's like, well, should we have done it? So it's just, you know, yeah, you you're, you're, Yeah, everyone's a critic, eventually, um, uh, whether you like it or not. Um, you turn the news off, everything's much better. But, yeah. Well, we, well, actually, that, that's an interesting point. Let's move this on a little bit now, because obviously we've all, we've all had uh, 16 months of um, Facebook conspiracy theories and... Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> and, and drama and trauma and uh, rolling 24-7 news. Uh, I mean, has, has any of this impacted you from a work point of view, Will? I mean, the pandemic, I know you're, um, uh, you said that actually previously, you know, things were going well. So, you know, how, how's, how's the downturn, how's the pandemic been from your point of view? It's been utter madness. Is it? In a good way? I don't know if we can swear on this podcast. Absolutely. Yeah, we, oh, we like a bit of potty yeah, mouth swearing. Um, Crack on. I mean, look, when it hit... When was that now? When it was March, Mar- February. Yeah, March. Yeah. It was, I was actually snowboarding in, um, where were we, in Verbier in Switzerland. And we couldn't get over, because in Verbier you can get over the hill into um, Savinia in Italy. And it was shut because of high winds, according to the song. Right. When we got back, we realised there's nothing to do with high winds. <laughs> it's to do with high levels of pandemic breakout. <laughs> yeah. um, so then pretty much the minute we got back from Verbier, we were, um, not Verbier, where were we? Zermatt, sorry, yeah. Zermatt in Switzerland, sorry. We got back and uh, we were in lockdown. And, you know, most of my work... Well, a lot of my work at the time, and even still now, is across the Middle East. So suddenly there's no planes flying. Um, the work I was doing to that point suddenly stopped, but then other stuff ramped up. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's been... I mean, it changes not necessarily daily, but certainly weekly. Um, I mean, I've, it's, it's been great. I've done okay, I mean, you know, to be honest. And uh, it's just the one downside is I can't get on a plane. I've not been on a plane mm-hmm. now since, well, March 20... What year are we in now? Twenty. Whenever it broke out. Whenever yeah. the lockdown. Whenever the lockdown. <coughs> decade hits, are we in? Um, last year, March. Yeah. So a year and a bit. You know, I was just saying earlier. Prior to that, I was pretty much commuting to the Middle East and other places around the world, and on a plane. But you, two or three times a week. But the interesting thing is, and Stu and I were talking about this earlier, is as long as you've got the internet, you can work. You can. I mean, there's um, you can to a point. I mean, I've been working in Saudi now for three years solid, and I've still never set foot in Saudi, Mm -hmm. uh, which is crazy. Um, But it depends what you're doing. I mean, there's different 
people and different cultures have different views on the whole remote working thing. And it's different around the world. And it's different yeah. company to company. It's different. You know, but you do get to the point where you do have to start meeting humans. And if you're doing something physical, and a lot of <clears> what I do is physical, whether it's um, you know property development or whether it's events or whether it's working with artists or whether it's being an artist, whatever, you know, there's a physicality to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are limits. Well, it's an interesting point, and 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 you know that's the reason why I've dragged it down to the studio today, Will. Uh, I know, it's and, and I know you didn't want to come, so I made you. Uh, well, I didn't want to come. Like, <laughs> I'm sure I can do this from home. Well, exactly. But that's yeah. the point. Is that when we, and, and Stu and I had this debate about reintroducing the podcast, and we, we even bought equipment. Uh, Stu, <laughs> Stu forced me to spend £200 on a load of stuff that's still in the box at home uh, but at the end of the day we're, we're, we're sociable people yeah. Okay, and we do like that idea of meeting people face, look them in the eye and have a chat and be a bit more responsive than maybe you can be on, on Zoom so we do appreciate you coming out and taking time to spend uh, in, in, in the no studio worries. with us today Will so, um, It's my second meeting with humans Is it? How privileged are we? a year and a half Really? This, yeah. this is actually my first today oh, Well done Yeah, so Maybe we should get badges. <laughs> Stickers. Get badges, yeah. Um, so, look, uh, Will, uh, uh, the, re- the reason why I invited you on is I was on uh, LinkedIn mm. uh, trolling people <laughs> a few months ago, uh, uh, and I saw you put something on there, um, uh, which uh, kind of blew my mind a little bit. Um, uh, and I then sent it to Stu. I said, look, when we get back in the studio, we're, we're getting Will down to talk about this. So um, uh, you were on uh, – uh, you had a lengthy spot on Sky News a few years ago from memory – um, and you'd taken up free diving. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so just talk us through what free diving is. There's a missing is. link there. Isn't oh, there? is it? Okay. <laughs> well, can we fill it in then? Well, so, I, so I'm, again, much, well, I'm much happier. In, nothing to do with work, but I'm much happier in water than I am on land. I should have been born a fish and all the rest of it. Always loved the water, sailing, swimming, diving, all the rest of it. And many years ago, I took up free diving. Um, free diving is where you go underwater and you just hold your breath, essentially. Mm-hmm. So you don't have, it's not unlike scuba diving where you've got oxygen on your back. And there's two or three forms of freediving. There's the most common one, which is the most well-known one, is competitive freediving, where you see these mad nutcases going down a big, long string, trying to get as deep as they can underwater. That's competitive freediving, which I've got no interest in at all. Yeah. I mean, I've done it, but it's... it's How deep do they go? I mean, what, what's, do you know, what is the record? Do you know what the record is? 100 metres, 200 metres? 100 metres? Like but, right. but there's different flavours of freediving. Fins, right. no fins, different bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. But you've got to be a certain type of individual that... If you're going to Bonkers. do that properly competitively, it's a whole other world of madness and dedication and subjecting Taking your body your life, to basically. Yeah, yeah. Got, that's not me. <laughs> then there's recreational free diving, which is where you're basically just enjoying yourself underwater. So you hold your breath, go underwater, mess around with some fish, look at some whales. <laughs> uh, maybe you go hunting for lobsters or whatever else if you're into that, which I'm not. But people do that, um, and it's just it's the most fish-like you can be without being a fish. So, but how how do you find out? that you can free drive i mean i, I anyone can i tried to hold my snorkeling. breath the other day i saw someone set a challenge on twitter and i think i got to 40 seconds which probably won't make me a great free driver no so um so there's a thing called the mammalian reflex yeah. you stumbled across that in your life yeah is it film <laughs> no no so when because we all um came from fish originally yeah evolution there's a few things left in our body which are sort of still there through evolution one mad one is echolocation so humans like dolphins can echolocate you can go and google it there are uh, blind people who actually can do the clicking with their mouths and can actually navigate the world perfectly fine just like dolphins underwater another thing is called the mammalian reflex so when your forehead is in water mm-hmm. now i'm going to forget i'll get this if anyone's listening who knows more about this than i do i'm going to get the science <laughs> unlikely <wrong. laughs> but in broad terms um the mammalian reflex um 
slows down your metabolism and your heart rate, I mean subtly, and moves blood away from your extremities. So you've got less chance of your fingers getting cold and toes getting cold. Very subtle. But what it does make it easier, with your forehead's in water, it's much easier to hold your breath. And with two or three hours training of how to relax and how to breathe properly, as long as you're medically sound and not broken and all <laughs> healthy. Good way to find out. Um, you know, anyone with a couple of hours training can hold their breath for between two and four minutes. It's just not difficult. Everyone so you can train it. yourself to do You this. don't train yourself. You can get trained. And oh, get trained. Never, right. do it, never ever do it on your own. <laughs> um, always do it with someone who knows what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're just lying in the water, face down in a wetsuit, floating around, you know, I think the first time I did it, it was sort of three minutes. And it's, it's just not difficult. Mm. I mean, you look at me like it is, but it just isn't. Um, you know, two minutes almost guaranteed. And then... Because your body, you know, you've seen the films, you know, our body can survive without oxygen for seven, eight, nine minutes. Yeah, you fall under the ice. You, yeah, 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 or, you, yeah. um, or you're in an accident and you stop breathing and the ambulance right. comes, you know, you, people survive. Yeah. So, and the pain you feel when you're holding your breath isn't your body needing to breathe, it's the build up of carbon dioxide. So how long you can hold your breath is then just a function of how long you're willing to endure the pain. That's it. Um, 40 seconds for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, with it, yeah. Um, and that's why I'm just not into the competitive side because that right. just becomes how uncomfortable you're willing to get. But if you're just normally freediving, mm-hmm. you know, working well on the coast, yeah, you. you need only hold your breath for a minute, two minutes, And then it's minutes. the combination as well of the location, what you're seeing, yeah, who what you're, you're with doing and what it. you're doing. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So we've established what freediving is. Congratulations. You're Thanks. much better at it than I'll ever be. But then you decided to take it to another level. Well, this is what I saw on LinkedIn. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> well, yeah you, saw the, yeah, you saw the video of something that we did five years ago. Yeah. We just, yeah. So I've always wanted, even before freediving happened, I've always wanted to go to Antarctica. Yeah. And uh, then obviously started freediving. And actually the second freediving trip we actually did was actually in Iceland, which is another whole, another conversation, um, which is pretty cool. And uh, I just said to a friend, I wonder if we can do this in Antarctica. <laughs> As you do. And, uh, and then well, I don't know. And, um, and that was, nothing happened. And then a few months later, I thought, maybe I should actually look into it. And... You know, just being the novice I was, sort of started poking around, saying, "Right, well, can anyone actually? Can you do this?" So I thought there was nowhere online offering free diving trips to Antarctica. <laughs> just wasn't a thing. There's a gap in the market, Stu. There yeah, is. People, people scuba dive there, though. So there were, the, yeah, kind of. So there were sort of scuba diving expeditions and stuff. So I spoke to a few of them, and like, well, you know, insurance, you're not scuba diving, blah. It just all got a bit messy. And then someone I was talking to just said, "Well, why don't you just?" rent your own boat your own <laughs> just thing. go yeah and I was like well how many millions is that going to cost yeah. and uh, it wasn't millions but we looked into it and there was a way of doing it and we found a particular bo- boat a steel hulled boat that was built for um, polar regions and I said okay can someone find the numbers out and the numbers came through and they were sort of eye watering I thought what well, I have to do is on my own if we find enough people the money becomes can, can you talk about the money I mean, what, what, what would you look at I mean what, what commitment levels are required to, to fund that trip yeah, it's not enormous so we um I mean the whole thing. I don't know. I'm trying to remember now. It wasn't. It wasn't a hundred grand. It was less oh, okay. The whole thing. Right. It was under. It was less than hundred. But bear in mind, you, you, I'm guessing there was no sponsorship here. You had to fund this yourself. Yeah, yeah. But we, so I just looked at it and thought, well, that's a silly amount of money. Mm. And I'm sure I could go and find the money or somehow. But I thought, with more people come, then we split the cost. So we went properly around the houses over the course of about two years. We had nine people join and pull out and join and pull mm. out. And we, at one point, we had a, a fairly well-known vlogger who was going to come. Um, that fell through well not fell through they just pulled out um, then we were going to have someone else involved who was coming with National Geographic and 
but it got a bit ridiculous because we were become, we were becoming cast in someone else's kind movie, of thing. Yeah. Mm. and we and we weren't even going to film it. We just wanted to go and actually, it was not about yeah, no ego trip on it. It was a challenge. Well, there's a bit of ego, but it was no, <laughs> but it was you know me and the other guy were definitely going to do it. Um, we just wanted to go and do it because we wanted to do it. Um, and eventually, six of us went. Two skippers, um, well, a skipper, a doctor is also a skipper. So it's a medical support a lady who looked after all the sort of cooking and cleaning. Uh, and then me, Trevor and Dave doing the, the diving and sailing and stuff. So we hired a sailboat. We sailed from Chile across Drake Passage, which is one of the most uh, Cape, interesting Cape pieces Horn, of water. Is it? That, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so that was a four-day crossing in a little tiny boat day and night. Um, so it was two years of training. Because the other thing, you can't just go. You have to get approvals. Because well, Antarctica is owned by God knows who, like everyone, basically. That was my next question. Is it, mm. Who owns Antarctica? It's owned by, it's a long acronym. I forget what it's, I-A-O-T. Right. The Antarctic So you have Treaty. to get permission. Yeah, so eventually we finally got the stamp from the from the Commonwealth Office, right. um, which involved all sorts of strange paperwork, like literally questions of what would you do if you were face-to-face with a killer whale? Like, What would you do if you're face-to-face with a killer whale? Well, exactly. Oh. I wouldn't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but... Because because they they don't want you damaging the killer whale, but also yeah, yeah. don't want you to die. So they're like, yeah. well, which comes first? They're torn either yeah. way. Yeah. Um, and diving people understood, and snorkeling people understood, and there was paperwork for that. But free diving was this whole thing. And we'd only found at the time we'd only found seven other people at all that even free dived in Antarctica. Because um, once you just start asking around, you find out who does it. But um, yeah, so we did lots of training, prep work, testing all the gear, and then two years of training and people pulling out and sorting. Yeah, you know, two years of craziness does that, people you know the stop start element that people pulling out yeah, yeah. saying they're going to do it does that does that motivate you or does it demotivate you to the point of oh, what's the point there must be an easier way to no all that mattered was the less people that came the more it was going to cost <laughs> yeah it came um, financial yeah is there, no, a sort, is there a sort of like a feeling of relief though when you've been through that pro- part of the process with those people that when they do finally back out did you get like a second like a sense in your mind when you met these people that they were either fully committed to it or they were just testing the walls no, the, I mean everyone that wanted to come were all they'd all these weren't flaky people mm. they were people that were adventurers in their own right or had they'd done stuff these weren't like you know someone who just thought that sounds like fun they were all people yeah, that had some like me and Stu yeah, no, but, you, know, go. <laughs> you know one lady pulled out because she got pregnant another guy pulled out because he had some film deal thing so it was all there's nothing so flaky about it. What t- what time of year did you go? I mean, so crossing at- Drake's Passage, the graveyard of the sailor, as it's known, is it, that yeah. that can't have been easy. Any time of year. Yeah, it was it was interesting because we <laughs> sailed constantly day and night um, on a four hour watch system, which means you sail for four hours and then you sleep in inverted commas. You don't really, but you you sleep at forty five degree wedged into a <laughs> with one eye open in a hole. Yeah, just hearing things crash into the boat, and you're constant. Yeah, it's just. It's an endurance piece. Mm. There were moments of calm, but essentially, you're on your edge. You're on your yeah. 45 degrees, and you know the further south you get, the icier it gets, and you're constantly chipping ice off stuff. And um, but you have to, and that's why we were quite careful who you went with because everyone has their moments. But the last thing you can do is have a breakdown. Is you no, know, if someone like if you start getting pissed off and yeah. moaning, you can't turn around. The worst thing I can do is start arguing with you. I just need yes. to let you be. And yeah. Um, you know, so one guy that came, he's ex-military, so it was fine. Another guy came, he's from our industry, and I'd seen him under pressure as well. So, mm-hmm. And the two sailors had been to the region before, so we knew they were legit. Um, so that's why we were quite careful who we yeah. invited and worked with. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was just an endurance thing. You know, it was quite impressive to see. And, you know, and then once you start getting further south, icebergs start appearing and how another, how another experience. Absolutely. It's just amazing, yeah. So you, got, you, you rocked up outside Antarctica. Clocked in, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
uh, checked into your room. I'm guessing there's a hotel there or something, is there? Yeah, we had. There was no Four Seasons, but it was okay. <laughs> uh, uh, what what temperatures are we looking at here? Do you know, it's okay. So the water, so water obviously freezes at zero. Salt water, seawater freezes at minus one point eight, minus one point nine, something like that. Um, so that was the water temperature. Um, but the water, the above water, because when you're in the water, we're in wetsuits, and the right. wetsuits you wear, you can free dive in nothing. Yeah, yeah. If you're in cold Speedos. water, exactly. But the wetsuits you wear aren't like a wetsuit when you go surfing, where you've got a layer of water between yeah. you and the rubber. They're much tighter, they're um, open cell rubber, so you, you put it on, they're quite hard to get on, uh, and then you're basically a seal or a whale. And it's yeah. actually So in the water with the proper gear, and we spent two years finding the right gear, um, for an hour in the water, you're honestly, you're absolutely fine. Really? Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying it was warm, but like, it's <laughs> yeah. fine. You're, like, you're not Tropical. even really cold. Yeah. After two hours, um, your fingers and toes start getting a bit, you know, like when you're skiing and stuff, yeah. a bit... A bit painful yeah two and a half hours is the longest time right i could stand it um so then you get back out in the boat warm up a bit and then go again go back in again so what um, other than the cold i mean what what what, what's the uh, obviously killer whales what's the risk i mean trapped under an i mean it's a horrible way to go if you're trapped under an iceberg and you can't find your way back out that's a a risk isn't it so you tend to avoid icebergs because when you when icebergs come a different size some of the size of countries (laughs) some of the size of a can of coke you know it just depends which one you're looking at but you don't know whether they're going to fall over because mm-hmm. they're floating around and you don't know whether they're going to fall over. Yeah. You've got no idea whether it's going to fall over now or in 10 seconds or in 10,000 years' time. And we saw plenty fall over, these sort of 20-storey high uh, things falling over. Um, so we didn't. you basically don't go near them. Uh, to be honest, the biggest risk is the isolation because you are on your own. Mm. Even like if you cut your finger or mm-hmm. burn your hand on the kettle or something, I mean, that's potentially more severe because you've got no way like you're on your own you, or you suddenly it. had a yeah, yeah, yeah. heart attack or like yeah. you're literally on your own um so i guess that's the biggest risk hence all the training and preparation and all the rest of it actual risks in the water like yes i suppose you could drown but that's no different to free diving in cornwall um there's no animals that actually eat humans there i mean there are killer whales do you meet any face Not to face above water didn't see any underwater right um Again, there's no incidents of killer whales eating people other than mm. in theme parks. Um, <laughs> there are leopard seals. Um, they're pretty mean. They are. And there is, you know, the story's changed, but there was one incident of a leopard seal killing a human. But, you know, there's different versions of the story. And when we spoke to people that were involved, and, you know, were they in a big feeding area of um, yeah. seals or was the leopard seal confused? It was just, and the way they were diving was mitigating circumstances there. Maybe, but it's a risk, you yeah. know. Um, and I only saw one of those underwater and it didn't eat me. I'm still here. Um, but yeah, we'd probably, if we saw them in the water, we probably wouldn't, wouldn't get in the water. But right. Yeah, yeah. I did see one, find one underwater. And, you know, you can, you can Google it. You've got massive mouths. Yeah. So, so the time when, let's say, you've done the diving mm. for the day, for example, how do you then, certainly with like the travelling time to get there as well, um, how did you ensure, all of you really, that you didn't, drive each other up the wall was it a case of that you kind of had your own your books music yeah, I mean, to listen to fairly, that type of thing or? you know we're all fairly level headed mm-hmm. like the three of us Dave, Trevor and I sort of knew each other you know you know, one was ex-military as I said one's been in our industry so I understand the pre- you know mm. and the other two the other three were seasoned sailors and sealer polar explorers mm-hmm. I don't know explorers expedition people um, yeah I mean everyone's you just you just let people be. If, like yeah. if you're having a bad day, you just don't get involved unless they ask for help. You just don't poke just, it with a stick, basically. Yeah, basically, because that's not exactly that. Yeah. I guess you, you've also be. then got 
suitable differing backgrounds as well, so that you've always got something to talk about. It's not like kind of four yeah, but people. It's also it's also, also respect that you can say like I'm feeling shit. Just let me be. <laughs> what do you do? Because yeah, like back off, Martin. Yeah, like I'm having a. And it wasn't just illness, but you might think I'm having a down day or a down. Yeah, or that was a shit dive, or yeah. you know didn't go. Right. You just you're you just, cold, you just you're miserable, it, tired, yeah. everything. Um, there was we. There wasn't. I don't think there was one argument. There wasn't one. I mean, lots of people had grumpy moments, but mm. there was no. There was never any antagonism. What's next then? Where'd you go? Three diving on the moon? Oh, I don't know. If anyone can do it, Will, it'd be you. <laughs> I know, it's funny. Well, we got back and we just did it. And then we got back and the media sort of found out about it. And I think it was a Daily Mail rang up and they said, um, are you all British? And I, said, <laughs> and I went, I sort of thought in my head, yes, we're all British. Why? He said, well, has anyone from Britain done this before? And I thought, I don't know. Hold on. So the seven or eight people we knew, I just said, oh, there's him, him, him and her. No, they weren't British. I said, so you were the first British people Brilliant. to do this. And suddenly we're all over the media as these British yeah. guys make history. Yeah. And like, suddenly, we, yeah, and hence then... You're a Sky, national hero. Then Sky News got hold of it and they said, oh, you're, you've made history, come on the news. I said, well, we've <laughs> only made history because the Daily Mail decided we had. But, um, <laughs> sure, why not? And that's that, you know, that five years ago. Yeah. And so, and, what, and now, what, you still free dive? You just do it in slightly warmer waters, I'm guessing, or...? Yeah, well, I haven't um, for a while, obviously, because none of us have travelled. But, um, yeah, still free dive. Um, there's... I'd love to do. I mean, others, are, many others, have done it free diving with killer whales in Norway mm-hmm. during the feeding season because they're more, more interested in herring than they are you. Yeah, that's cool. There's a small group of us who would like to go and find narwhals. You know, the kind of the long tusked um, things. Yeah, which yeah. are quite. I mean, they're quite shy, so they don't like mm-hmm. anything. Are they they're more things. Arctic rather than Antarctic? Are they Arctic? Yeah. Um, you know, so getting you know the ice. Or level geography coming uh, into good, good use there. Nice. You press there, Stu. Yeah, Impressed myself with that. To be honest, even I'm impressed. Um, <laughs> So a bit of that, and you know, I'd love to go free diving with blue whales. I've done seen many humpbacks and dive and dance with whales underwater, wow, and dolphins and stuff. But um, blue whales, you know, I've never seen. Never seen well, them. I think that, that's that's a great story, isn't it? Fantastic. I think that's fantastic. You're a credit. You're a credit to, to the nation. Thanks. The, 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 one of the, <laughs> the only Britain or the only Britons to have done that. I think that's a fantastic thing, uh, Will. So congratulations to you for that. Um, we're wrapping this up now. Uh, anything you want to plug while you're on here? You've got a book coming out to follow up that uh, wonderful story, or uh, yeah, no, I mean, oh, damn, I should have written a book. I? <laughs> no, <laughs> too I mean, late. I've written books. No, I'm just busy working. Um, as I say, I'm a producer, designer, director, working yeah. in the arts, sports, entertainment around the world, working with governments. And you're on All social sorts. media, you've got a Twitter handle, people can maybe follow you, because we'll, we'll put this out on Twitter once we've uh, Yeah, so the website's willglendinning.com and willglendinning on Instagram. Just, just Google Find willglendinning. And, and you'll come up alongside a picture of an orca whale or a yeah, narwhal. I'm not shy. Or me and Stu. Yeah, I'm not shy of PR. You'll find me. <laughs> I know that. I know that from Mars. But brilliant. Uh, Will, thanks for coming in and sharing that. It's been absolutely fantastic. Uh, we'd like to end on Bert and Ernie's Desert Island Discs. I've asked you oh, for yeah, your yeah. five records. You, you, you objected to that because you're, you're too young and trendy. I love the way you age us all by saying I know. I, I know. Well, you asked for the best five albums. Well, I'm old school. I'm old me. So I've stuck to the brief. You'll be impressed. Go on, go on then, Mel. What have you got? What have you come up with? We're quite hard to choose five albums out of all the albums ever in the history of the world. Yeah. So I just, That's the challenge. So in three minutes before I left the house this morning, <laughs> I did my research. Yeah. Um, Soul to Soul's album, Club oh, Classics. okay. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Um, That's a great uh, 80s album, that Yeah, one. no, it was amazing. Um, I think it was called Keep On Moving in the US, but um, that's an incredible album. Uh, Massive Attack, greatest yeah. hits, album called Collected. Yeah. A lot of uh, melancholy student moments come back there. <laughs> um, what else have I got on here? Um, there's an Italian composer called. I'm going to get his pronunciation I wrong. You'd, I knew you'd have something classical on there. I said to Stu, you'd have some classic on there. So apologies to this gentleman who's still alive, <laughs> and I can never pronounce his name, but I think he's fabulous. Uh, Ludovico Inualdi. Oh, big fan of him. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, you will know his music even if you don't know him. Really? He's, he's Would you do the, films, film scores or? I think he's in something like, of all the music listened to on the internet, I think he's, so some stat, mm, Okay. he's like in one of 12 tracks mm-hmm. ever listened he's to. There. Really? You know, film, set, yeah. film scores, adverts, you'll know the music. Um, what else have I got on my list? Florence and the Machine, Lungs. Oh, okay. That's an interesting one. I had that one before. And um, just because I'm a clubber at heart, faithless <laughs> reverence. You're a raver, are you? It's always the quiet ones. Yeah, yeah. One day I'll be raving again. <laughs> Underwater, probably. Knowing you will. Right, listen, uh, Will, thanks for coming in. Really appreciate that. Um, no that's been a f- uh, f- fascinating insight into freediving. I won't be taking it up. I'll tell you that now for absolutely It's very nothing. relaxing. It's like the water equivalent of yoga. You don't have to do it in Antarctica. He lies. He'll be in his bath tonight. With his I will. Uh, head in the sink. Trying to break 45 seconds. Uh, Stu, <laughs> back in the can, another episode. Welcome back. Yep, episode 47, believe it or not. Good grief. Um, if you'd like also to come on to the LM Experience and discuss your personal uh, background, your business, or alternatively some adventures that you've been on, you can contact us via the Twitter feed that we've got, which is at the LM Experience, and uh, we can then make contact and hopefully get you on the show. Brilliant. Until next time. Thanks, Will. Thanks, Duke. Thanks, Will. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for listening, and please subscribe and follow us on Twitter. And remember, there ain't no party like a highly regulated mortgage party, and your home may be repossessed if you do not keep up repayments on a mortgage or any other debt secured on it. Mm